0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review Two-ing The Joshua Tree Tour, 1987, not the new one.
1: Bonner. It's one of the best things about this whole DVD. He picks Bono up, which I don't think Bono was expecting. Rock and roll. Ah, oh, it's not rock and roll. How is Party Girl still making the cut? The crowd go cray, cray Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of Review 2. Today we'll be continuing our journey through the story of U2 Live. I'm Tyler, here with me is Johnny. Say hello Johnny. Bonsoir. We are two Bespectacled U2 fans, we love talking about that too, and today we'll be discussing the Joshua Tree Tour, the original one, Mm -hmm. and the Love Town Tour! Let me do that again. (laughs) Why? Why would anyone want to hear that again? And, (laughs) and, (laughs) the Love Town Tour!
0: Sounds like Louis Armstrong. It's Bono. Oh, you're doing Howling Wind kind of thing?
1: Fair enough, okay. So, all in keeping. So today we're going to be talking primarily about the Joshua Tree Tour, uh, and as our case study this week, we will be using the Live in Paris show, which was released on the Joshua Tree 20th anniversary box set.
0: Yeah, I suddenly feel very, very old. Ten years ago um, was when that whole reissue came out, and that's why I have not, I'm not boycotting, but I've not bought the new one. Um,
1: I have. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons, another reason why I didn't buy it. It is beautiful, though. I, I think they they do Joshua Tree almost better than they do anything else in terms of the re-releases. I was going through the the two thousand seven special edition, mm. which came in the nice rectangular box. Um, One of the actual prints from that collection is just by your head as well. Lovely picture of Bono looking at a whiteboard. There he is. Sorry, blackboard. Looking down on us as we record review too. Mm. Um, but I was going through that the the two thousand seven. Edition of Joshua Tree, and it is lovely. Like to go through that, it's, it, the the prints that you're talking about come in a very nice um, brown card envelope mm. with a Joshua Tree embossed on it, um, and I, I, I just I genuinely enjoy going to that. I, the same thing can be said for the Unforgettable Fire version. Um, mm. they, they, it was the only two they that they brought out in that way.
0: Yeah, I think it's the really high quality, but also what you get, and this is the main reason I bought that reissue to begin with, you got a lot of songs which you know, proper official remastered versions of songs that you might not have heard before, you know. Yeah. So a good amount of B sides and also our case study for today, live in Paris. Yeah. Um a gig which it has to be, you know, I think it's a no brainer for a pick as a uh a show that's representative of the Joshua tree. Um it can be found on Spotify.
1: You can find it online. It's a great show. Check it out. It's it's obs- it's obscure, isn't it? The, the, this this presentation of uh, of you two. What's um, obscure? The the fact that they that they did it in Paris, particularly this this venue, which is the and forgive my French here, the Hippodrome de Vincennes. <laughs> is that? Am I even right. close with that? I imagine
0: it's something like Hippodrome de Vincennes, but I might be completely wrong.
1: Apologies. To our French <laughs> listeners in advance. <clears throat> yeah. GCSE, foreign language, taking a kick in the. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I was quite happy to go back to this. I have fond memories of, of watching it. It's not a DVD that I watch all the time. No. And we might get into why that is later on. So I think there's a, a fair few
0: reasons why this isn't maybe something that sticks out so much in the pantheon of U2 DVD presentations
1: yeah and what date did you say it came out wait what the 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 show sorry the show what date did the was the show recorded okay so the show was recorded
0: on the 4th of July Eh? oh yeah yeah they didn't play that strangely enough (laughs) Um, (laughs) the 4th of July
1: 1987 uh, Paris France yeah So, the Josh retreat uh, started in April of that year, on April the 2nd, and around all the way through to December the 20th, 1987. It had three legs this tour. Mm, Three enormous legs. Yep. Which was North America, Europe, then back to North America. Yeah, a bit of a tripod of a tour. Mm, Indeed. Um, And it had 111 shows. So... I think that's down. I think they keep they do keep going down. They're playing less and less as they as they get through the eighties, which which is which is alright. Well, as as we're doing stats, we
0: may as well talk about crowd numbers then. I mean, and maybe one of the reasons why they're doing fewer shows is because of the fact that these are on a much more grand scale. Generally the Joshua Tree is conceived as an arena tour, playing to people of about fifteen thousand, that kind of thing. But there are dates with massive capacity dotted around. So Wembley Stadium, for example, Seventy two thousand people. Wow. Enormous, obviously there. Um so this is an odd an odd time in the band's live career because they're making that transition. They're sort of straddling two very, very different types of venue here. The arena style venue and then stadiums or yeah, stadium.
1: Well, I originally thought this show was from a festival, but it isn't. The the Well, we're just talking about the general tour just for right, for okay. now, if you know what I mean. So
0: yeah. um so just in t- in terms of general capacity, sometimes you two will be playing to about fifteen thousand or thereabouts, and then there's these these other dates which are immense. Which would you rather have gone to? I definitely the smaller gigs. Yeah. I would hate to be stood at that. I'm not a Glastonbury Festival E type of person really. You surprise me. <laughs> um Yeah, despite my love of outdoor clothing, I'm I can't really bother standing. I don't want to be the seventy um seventy second thousandth person stood at the back of a field looking at a secondary
1: screen while somewhere on the horizon No, I've got to admit, that, that annoys me, but the, I have found a solution to that over the years Stay at home? No, no, what I do is I buy a ticket uh, for a seat Oh yeah uh, And I can turn up when I want, <laughs> I can turn up 20 minutes before the end if I want, and you know what, my, my seat is still the... Well that's a
0: very dog-in-the-manger kind of approach to, to going to a show no U2 fan would endorse that kind of behaviour.
1: No, but I agree. I don't want to stand at the back. I don't want to not be able to see. I want to be able to see the band do what so, they do. So just to
0: just to refresh any listeners that have stumbled into this debacle, Tyler and me have a long-standing disagreement about whether you should stand or not at a, at a gig. And I booked us tickets for the new Joshua Tree tour, which, as a sidebar, we... Uh, avoiding spoilers for and we'll do an ep you know a live ep at some point from that Ugh, I've lost my train of thought now anyway we're going to the new Joshua Tree Tour I bought the tickets and I got us lovely standing tickets so we can be amongst the tribe as they play things like Streets and Bullet the Blue Sky and Tyler isn't very happy about this Tyler your thoughts?
1: I'm I'm not happy about this to be honest um, I, I've i paid more money for mm. a, a lesser view and I'm, I'm not happy about it. And I'm not happy that I'm going to have to turn up to the the stadium hours and hours before when I, I could be doing anything.
0: Well, as I've said, some platform shoes and a small portable seat like a fisherman would have problem solved. Right, okay, so let's go back <laughs> onto uh, the Joshua Tree Tour in its original phase. Did you know, Tyler, that this is where Bono um, tour where he gained his famous uh, little chin scar?
1: I did not. Did so, he fall off stage?
0: <laughs> no, he's not Edge on uh, the Innocence tour. Um, it was just on, on April 1st, April Fool's Day, appropriately enough, um, before the opening show in Temper, Arizona, Bono... One um, day before. Yeah, he fell onto a spotlight, um, and, you know, one of the ones that he's always faffing about with at this point. Can you um, not see his... it? No. he <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't have been messing around with the light should <laughs> I suppose. Um... Yeah, so uh, so just a little a little fun fact there about about the tour. Any more um any more
1: stats? Yeah, that's a very fun fact. Let's talk
0: about the time Bonner <laughs> fell off his bike in Central Park. He does injure himself <laughs> quite a lot, doesn't he? When he's not on a plane that's <laughs> blowing up. Um, okay, so um, any any more general you know kind of uh, tour stats we can talk about? I mean, it's safe to say that you two are really at the apex of their popularity thus far in our in our YouTube journey. They're playing enormous places. They're moving up to the big leagues.
1: Yeah, I think this is at a time when they were they they either had just hit it very, very big. Mm. Or they were just about to. Um which is which is really strange. And I think in a lot of ways, this whole time period has been glorified beyond what it actually was
0: interesting yeah Uh,
1: because i still see a lot of learning going on with you two at this point yeah um there there are there are good and bad parts of the show which which we will get into I would like to talk about the attire of the band, if that's okay. Yeah, we The can, swag, that we can, you call
0: it. We can move straight on to the swag, yeah, if you'd like. Um, I've got a lot to say about the swag here.
1: Yeah. I, well, I, A picture paints a thousand words. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so, we've not seen Bono since the Unforgettable Fire tour. Well, we have. We've seen him in the Conspiracy of Hope tour. But he's, he generally looked Quite smart. Maybe didn't look like a, a rock star, but he. Uh, maybe a, a, a rock star vampire. Yeah. That I is mean, what the vibe I'm getting from that's Bono. That's what I
0: said last episode. You're is stealing it... my description.
1: Well, maybe it's had time to sink in. <laughs> but I agree. But that seems normal compared to what I can only describe as Pirate Bono. <laughs> uh, stumbling out for this one uh, in a bad waistcoat. O- um, oversized white vest.
0: Is it oversized? Oh, no, no,
1: sorry. The the waistcoat goes over the, the white vest. Uh, ill-fitting pants tucked into what I think are some kind of cowboy boot.
0: Yeah, and with a, a pirate belt as well. You know, it's not a standard belt. Yeah, it's a purple cummerbund I, I've put
1: <laughs> I've put on here. Yeah. So it's a bit of a... Mixed bag for Bonner, lots of accessories around the neck. Yeah, sort of uh, of faux um, Native
0: American kind of like little twizzly kind of bits and things like that, yeah.
1: Is it a stretch to say that, you know, this is, it could be where Johnny Depp got the idea for Jack Sparrow?
0: Because it's not a million miles away. Well, he's more sober than that, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Maybe. Um, Do you know what I think the worst bit about his uh, outfit is, and you've not brought it up yet. Go on any 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 potential guesses um no i don't know what you're gonna go for very small detail bono's got it's either a bow <laughs> or a scrunchie or something oh and his her yeah yeah uh, like a kind of her bobble and it's it's bright white changes to a black one later on i think it's a darker one anyway um and it really looks bad and i as soon as he takes it off it looks a lot It looks a lot better the look is
1: improved yeah I like the long hair, but i I think bono looks very handsome here
0: he's yeah he's he's definitely I think he's hit a peak in his kind of romantic popular kind of identity I think this is a bono that you could imagine a lot of people young people would have had posters on the walls you know and they would have seen the wither without you video and seen him as a heartthrob you know we've got a different bono these days
1: and that's fine one thing that did strike me about Bono in particular in this show and and this time period looking at it he smiles a lot. He yeah. he he really is happy doing this, and mm. and I think if you're more into the '90s, like we tend to lean towards, I certainly do. Yeah. Um, then it's very easy to remember this time as quite a solemn time in U2's career. Um, All that black and white and the Anton Corbin kind of photos, yeah. Were you know maybe they they they're not having that much fun, but they do seem to be having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree. There's there's still a lot of a lot of energy and happiness there. So that that. And Took me by surprise. Also, still,
0: still, sort of slight traces of youth as well. I think there yeah. has been a, a change of stance. They still here. are young,
1: though. Oh yeah, no, they 26 are. Twenty-six years old, and he's the biggest rock star on the on, on the planet. I'm twenty-six now, and I'm drinking tea <laughs> in a in a makeshift studio in Manchester. <laughs> um. All right. Well, let's um, let's move on to the edge then. Um. Still, a... uh, sorry, I uh, didn't see the edge here. Um we've got Phil Collins who's come dressed as a traveling art teacher well i got I got kids t v slash sort of you know like teacher No one's gonna let him on kids t v looking like that <laughs> um
0: a lot of her and still a fan of the big shirt I actually quite like edge's look here, but obviously um you know that that hat and the the sheer length of the hair
1: needs to go in my opinion those rip baggy jeans though uh kind of tragic they're not the the cool new metal ones from the early 2000s um d- d- the shirt's dirty th- it has paint on it yeah but i saw sort of, what it's... what has he been doing what pa- painting he, right he, joshua tree is presumably number one or has been number one at this point whose house is he painting like is he is he just making sure he's got something in case you two falls through <laughs>
0: I can't see Edge being much of uh, much of a kind of painter decorator type, to be honest.
1: Um, I, I think it's a it's a strong but misguided look. <laughs> um, Adam Clayton, no, no, oh, no, no, we're we no, staying on no, Edge uh, because I think it's safe to say now that the Edge has put a hat on. Yeah, I guess
0: it's a watershed
1: moment, isn't it? Really? No, I've worn hats, you've worn hats, mm. and normally it's not a big deal if you see somebody in a hat. But in 1987, the Edge put a hat on. And he's never took one off. Uh, I like to think that the edge worked backwards, so he knows every hat he's going to wear for the rest of his life. And mm-hmm. he and he and he started with the last hat, and then just kept adding hats. And what he's doing, he's kind of unwrapping himself like a like a guitarist past the parcel.
0: Yeah, listeners, I also think Tyler's gone mad. Carry on, Tyler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so all he's been doing is just taking one hat off, and there's another one there ready. Mm. In its place, it's a it's a it's a theory, but um, it's one theory. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Let's move on to Adam Clayton, uh, or as I call him, oh, go on. the poor kid in school. Why would you say that? Look what he's wearing. What? what go on, ph- show you working. Hand me down trousers, <laughs> oversized sweater. It looks like he's wearing his dad's sweater. It's a T-shirt. It's a massive T-shirt. Is it? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Clearly <laughs> oversized. Um. And a, and a terrible waistcoat that it looks like he stole from a young boy. I think they all
0: went to the leather waistcoat vest thing shop. Um, although Bonov's instantly takes his off. If you watch, it, he comes out to our follow straight away, taking it off. Why bother? Yeah, it's um... Sean of his mullet though, which is good. He's, he's yeah. got a nice, you know, very short haircut. No, no mullet in sight for Clayton, which is useful. Mulletless,
1: this band now. Never to mullet again. Yeah, and speaking of mull, let's Larry, mull it over.
0: Yeah, well, let's mull Larry um, Mullen Jr.'s <laughs> um, um, outfit. Yeah,
1: I, you know, it he uh, he surprised me. Jeans and white t-shirt.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a new look for him.
1: Yeah, um, those jeans are actually really cool. I I can imagine in two thousand and seven I would have worn jeans like that. I think you had a pair of jeans very similar to that. <laughs>
0: Quite possibly. Um, twinned with some converse as well. He looks classic. It's a classic look for Larry. What is it? What, go on. what's what's tickled I just, you? I was just
1: about to say, listeners, if you remember Johnny wearing any particularly cool jeans, then send in your photos now. Yeah. All right. Um, right. So, so we move on from, from the swag, because I think we
0: always spend longer than I expect <laughs> talking about this section. And I wonder how many listeners it costs us. Um, well, I guess the thing is, it's part of the visual presentation, isn't it? And it's interesting that in this early moment the band don't really seem to care that much about their image. It is a look. I'm not saying that they're just natural guys. It's a look. They'll have people who advise them on this kind of thing, but we're miles and miles away from the more cultivated look of, say, pop.
1: I suppose the contrast is that you know people think of this as such a classic time in the band's career, and it is, but what they're wearing doesn't doesn't reinforce that it looks Mm. shoddy
0: yeah but i guess they they've gone for that whole insider outsider drifters coming into america you know it it conjures up the kind of the 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 dust i mean imagine if they've been wearing what other people in the mid to late 80s were wearing at this time you know shiny suits i don't know if this was a it was a miami vice era of rolled up um, I love that. shirt sweats. Yeah, I'd yeah, but that. you can't imagine a the bit of pl-
1: big oversized blazers. Yeah, but could you yeah.
0: imagine them playing? I don't know. Still haven't found
1: what I'm looking for in like if shiny. If they did that now, I'd I'd be very happy.
0: It'd be odd, and I I think it's it's not a good look for them to be honest, or anyone really.
1: Let's talk about the stage set then. Uh, very atypical U2 set at this point. Uh, a black and white or sapia, in this case backdrop. Mm. Um, that, that's just I've got some notes on the backdrop. Uh, yeah, the b- backdrop uh, this time featuring some kind of tree. Uh, I did think it was a bit too a bit too on the nose. It's a it's a Joshua Tree tour
0: playing the Joshua Tree album, Big Joshua Tree. It's pretty one note to be honest. But
1: then again, if you've got something good, carry on with it. I, I would have to say though, like from this point, and thanks to you too, in no small part. The Joshua tree has to be up there in terms of famous trees. Yeah. What other trees are there? I mean everyone knows your common oak. Yeah, but that's just more
0: yeah, yeah. I guess
1: I think is, an oak is Palm Tree is pretty pretty popular. That's the fashionable one, isn't it? <laughs> um I just I think the Joshua tree must be the most famous musical tree. I don't think the tree played on the record.
0: No. <laughs> No, it didn't. Right. Um, I've got a little bit from Willie Williams here talking in U2's show um, because this is a fascinating time in terms of U2's live show. The central question being, how do you now start to translate a band which have played in smaller venues to bigger arenas, to stadiums, that kind of thing? So... They wanted to keep a kind of minimalist aesthetic. They really wanted it to be all about the um, all about the kind of, you know, the, the, the music rather than necessarily all the stage show. And hmm, that reminds me of a quote from Edge, but I'll save that just for now. Okay, so Willie Williams. I eventually mounted a total of twenty three spotlights in the rigging, each accompanied by its own operator, leaving the trussing above the stage visibly inhabited by nearly two dozen people. So We've got this idea that they can just use the spotlights to highlight all the interesting stuff that's, that's going on. And these spotlights obviously become a kind of major part of the show which Bono ends up interacting with. These proved to be exhilarating shows. The relationship between you two and their audience having developed into an extremely powerful source of energy. The production gestures remained simple but finally had developed a distinctive style. The stage backlit by just three gigantic theatre lights. The band standing in pools of white light. Bono illuminating Edge's guitar solo with a handheld lamp at point-blank range. You 2 and I'm getting to the end of this, you 2 finally had a show big enough to fill an arena on their own terms, arresting, unique, yet apparently effortless. Do yeah. you agree
1: with that? Yeah, absolutely. The Eff- effortless um, thing certainly comes across. It's a no-thrills kind of stage. Mm. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, can, I completely agree with that. and And I think the power of the music does uh does come across because of that mm. it is it, well at this point you know video screens weren't around so it's not as if you could get distracted by various things you know you, it was the stage and you mm. and there were no mobile phones either so well video screens were very ba- I, I
0: agree with you on the mobile phones thing and that's something that I really lament but um the the video screens were just about coming into mainstream adoption and it proved to be a bit of a divisive issue in the U2 camp. And they finally said, well, we'll use them a bit on some tours, on the very biggest shows. And that actually brings me to um, to the next part here. Um, Willie Williams talking about the Wembley gig that they played on the Joshua Tree. So in terms of performance, the shows are very successful. And we'll, we'll see that as we go into Paris today. Um, with U2 finding the required personal resources to face such enormous numbers of people. But in terms of production, and this is where Williams is getting a bit more critical... It was here that the minimalist aesthetic probably came unravelled to some degree. I recall playing, playing Wembley Stadium without even a backdrop, never mind video, because of high winds. The only saving grace may have been that the production expectations were much lower at that time, but it's a little toe curling to think of it now. So that's quite interesting, to be honest, because I mean, to have Willie Williams look back and this is the most famous. Album arguably and thus tour maybe.
1: I don't think it's the most famous tour.
0: Okay, well, all right. Well, let's let's say the most famous album and a very at least a very iconic period for you too. Yeah. To have some of it described as toe curling or that they're having to take this as a learning experience is I find that really fascinating. And overall, I was underwhelmed by this
1: whole <laughs> tour and and the and the gig that we watched. Well maybe that'll change when we listen to the new uh Madison Square Garden gig that came out with the thirtieth anniversary thing I mean I've not listened to that yet mm. so um maybe you know maybe it'll change when when we listen to that maybe that's a, a better show i I don't know
0: although I guess we'd have to judge that off audio presumably yes yeah. yeah so I mean just in terms of the stage set and everything like that, we do have the positives that the band are not having to negotiate around Trabants and Lemons and things like that or having to, you know, make sure they don't fall off stages or anything like that, but it does mean that when you have that huge, you know, 70 odd thousand people, it sometimes doesn't actually
1: translate that well Well, what I really liked about this um, is that in a lot of ways, the way this is produced, and I don't know who the director was for this video Um, I I did look, but I just, I, I can't find that information
0: in, I, I actually wasn't that interested I never even thought let's look this up because I just thought there were no real fascinating
1: decisions taken it's not like
0: Red Rocks where there were loads of really interesting things going on
1: but much like Red Rocks you did get the sense that this was about you two and the audience mm. there was uh, the audience wasn't lit but the audience was shown yeah and I, I liked that it was you two in a different environment it wasn't Red Rocks and Red Rocks provides a very unique feel to it but i liked this presentation even if sometimes the the gig you know took a bad turn Mm. it was all about the interaction with the audience and experiencing something together um there's a bit that i both love and hate where bono just sits and sits back on bit of the stage and watches Edge play guitar. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I
0: think that's during electric Co. that bit, yeah. Um
1: so I love and hate that, but I, I it's like the the quote that was said with Red Rocks. This is a fantastic documentation of where they were at that time. Well, another view on this whole um were the band were during
0: the, the whole time and this is this is actually from the the Wembley gig. Um and this is a review. I've only got one review this week. Uh, you may be happy or not to know. Um, it's from someone called Everett True. I guess that's a guy Everett. But um, hmm. anyway, um, so There's a guy in Harry Potter called Everett, I think. Oh, well, there we go. Thirteenth um, of June, Wembley Stadium. And this review begins the most. Succ- well, sorry, no. This review kind of sums up the most successfully ordinary band in the universe, and. <laughs> And uh, Everett goes on to say, when during one of Bono's drawn-out diatribes in bad, the entire auditorium hangs on every word. One can't help but shudder at the naked mass emotion. So what Everett has a problem with in terms of the crowd here is that there's kind of a sense that the individual is kind of losing all identity in this. And it says, the audience becomes one heav- heaving, pulsating amoeba. And again, I'm I'm kind of baffled, By the fact that these kind of comments were being made even in 1987. I'll stop being baffled as we approach the modern (laughs) era, but they're still kind of getting criticism, although even this early on they're getting criticism for the fact that these critics don't seem to be able to handle the fact of how powerful these songs are. So a song like Bad or a song like Pride or Streets, where you get that huge mass experience, and it doesn't seem like people are just distracted and checking their phones or thinking, oh, maybe I'll go and get a beer from the stand or something. It seems like everyone's unified. Critics seem to hate that and can only really respond with saying, oh, you're just becoming a a
1: mass of people. In the 80s, though, synth was very popular. And I think with a lot of 80s songs, they would put a synth track in it'd be very happy you know and it would it would create this happy sound and what i don't think you two do Mm. is they don't create the happy sound they create create an emotion through the music so you're not being force-fed happiness you're being forced to feel whatever you feel but magnify it Mm. and i think that comes across in a few early shows and they later go on to master that. So the songs are pretty simplistic, but they're never leading the audience. It's all about the presentation. And if Bono doesn't put his heart and soul into every line, mm. that's when the show starts to to dip, as we found out with Unforgettable Fire. Would you would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think it's, hmm, it's some I, I I I think that there's a roller coaster of emotions that if you're on board with the U2 gig, you're going to feel. I mean, it's not that you just like, oh, this is the next yeah happy synthy or hooky kind of song. It's, you've got to really get invested in something like Bad or the Unforgettable Fire or MLK or Octo. I mean, think about all these kind of the gravitas of all these songs which they've got to pick from now when they're arriving at this. I mean, this is pretty much you know where they get to the it's almost like they're playing a greatest hits before they've even got to a greatest hits, you know, kind of tour. Yeah. So they're going through a lot of, the audience is being asked to go through a lot of these big grave emotions. And
1: I don't want to just be... um, You see, I I don't think they are being asked to go through them. I think that if they should feel so inclined that they can go through them and they can go through them like Mm -hmm. group therapy in a way. Mm -hmm. But they don't have to join in. You're not being you're not being forced to, to to listen to a happy song. You two are never saying, "Oh, this is a happy song," or "This is a sad song," or, "This is a thoughtful song." The song is allowed to be whatever it is to each individual audience member, and that's what cr- creates this contrast of emotions in a lot of You Two songs. And sometimes you can think, because I've been at u Two gigs when they started playing songs, and it's like, yeah, I love this song but then it's actually really quite a sad downbeat song. Mm. But I love hearing the song and therefore I love the emotion that it makes me feel.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely I mean we said all the way through this kind of um review to journey or whatever we're going to call it. Um there's a lot of that ambiguity built in to all the songs. So yeah. so yeah, you can react in a different way. You can you could get upset at a song like October or have a spiritual, you know, kind of emotion to it or you know, whatever, or feel a sort of sort of bittersweet quality. Um yeah. I'm just I'm just wondering if this is a point where we get to a very earnest form of U two as well and maybe why this era in general this up to rattle and hum
1: is probably probably my least favourite era
0: of U two live really
1: Yeah, I really like the D V D. I like the presentation. Mm. I like the production, but in terms of a uh, gig or a show, whatever it may be, Mm. I, yeah, uh, there's something I don't, I don't, I don't feel I particularly enjoy watching that.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we should head on to the actual. Should we go to the actual the show itself and the and the set list? Uh, Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, But before we discuss what is in the set list, let's discuss what isn't in the set list. Mm. Number one and many of you sitting at home uh, or the bus wherever you are um <laughs> will will be thinking ah it's the Joshua Tree tour you two are obviously going to start with where the streets have no name that's the conclusion i would come to mm. but they don't they this is a european gig and in the, in the european gigs it was too light often times so they wouldn't play it they would play beatles covers instead
0: yeah, well this is yeah this is a kind of a, a theory which um it, it is a kind of fan theory I think. I mean well that's the only I've not got confirmation from the band but it does seem that that is the reason um because because where the streets have no name doesn't work unless
1: it's dark. I I'm not having that. I'd love to see streets in in the daytime.
0: Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, it seems like an odd reason to be honest. And I mean obviously you can tell the way a crowd reacts when they're waiting for a song. So you can imagine right towards the end when they start playing, you know, when the sequences comes in for, for, with or without you, the crowd goes wild because you can tell a lot of people are thinking, Oh, when are, when are they going to play that? I hope they don't miss it. I would be gutted if I went to this gig and didn't get streets because you think, Oh, I will follow. That's an interesting one to begin with. Maybe streets will be the encore. And then by the time you get into party girl, you're thinking, why are you playing party girl? And you're not playing when the streets have no name. And then boom, (laughs) done. And, you know, Larry's already walking off after 40.
1: Yeah, it's it's re- really, really strange. And I thought maybe they hadn't figured out how to play it live. It's just they didn't like playing it in the light. <laughs> this vampire theory is uh, backing up. <laughs> um,
0: okay, so we've, we've talked about what hasn't opened. Uh, I will follow.
1: And let me run through the set list for you. Jonathan. This is where I put my feet up. So, uh, here... On the 4th of July, in Paris, they start with, I will follow, then I trip through your wires, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, MLK, The Unforgettable Fire, Sunday Bloody Sunday, Exit slash Gloria, In God's Country, Electric Co., Bad October, New Year's Day, Pride, Bullet the Blue Sky, Running to Stand Still, With or Without You, Party Girl, and Forte! Yeah, um and the three cover songs that are
0: excluded um presumably for rights reasons or because they were just boring or terribly performed <laughs> uh stand by me come on everybody and which were both played before I will follow so again we're not get, it really noisy when we don't get a um improper them coming on. one of my favorite things of U2 live is watching how they open the show yeah okay think of the openings mofo zoo tv um city blinding lights and then to think that they just sidled on stage and said and and did
1: stand by me and come on everybody i'm annoyed by that because the first thing i put when i was watching the the dvd was no pomp no circumstance just start playing rock and roll and i thought that's what happened but obviously not
0: and uh, and the last one was help which was played between electrico and bad i mean i guess this does sort of um leaven the whole performance a little bit I said this is an earnest set list there's not much fun here to be honest um, apart from maybe Trip Through Your Wires that's kind of fun which was which was the second song in so maybe that was just there to g everyone up a bit but no streets but come on everybody
1: <laughs> how about you come on you two and play the song you meant to play I don't understand that at all I, d- I don't understand that no McGuinness must have been going out of his mind.
0: Uh, just selling his big pile of money. Um, <laughs> so that sounds very negative about McGuinness. Um, right. So um,
1: trip for your wires. Meh. Not a fan. Um, I just, I, I didn't care about seeing it. Maybe if it'd been played later.
0: Well, my notes for that song are lovely harmonics work by Edge, and if that's the most interesting
1: thing I can say about it. Bono looks so happy in this song. Like, really pleased with himself. It's like <laughs> you're playing I Trip Through Your Wires. It's, you know, it's not. I don't think it's in anyone's top 10.
0: Well, He's got no
1: reason looking so happy to play this song.
0: It's got a cool bassline, though.
1: Well, every U2 song has.
0: Mm, not true. Um, so, still haven't found what I'm looking for. A song which always sends to me to sleep live. Um. But it is nice to see it performed. I mean, this is the thing you've got to remember about this, I suppose. This was the first outing on this tour for a lot of these songs. Imagine being being your first time to see Still Haven't Found. I, I, I want to try and give everything a first shake and not just say, mm. Ooh, I've listened to this a million times, aren't I bored?
1: Well, if this was the first time I was seeing it live I would be disappointed because Bono does this really annoying thing through, I think mostly the first verse, but other parts in the song and other parts in the set, actually, where he doesn't open his mouth properly. It's so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And it's like a Muppet singing it, yeah <laughs> it's, it's Kermit it's really annoying, yeah um i'm I'm whing a lot about this, aren't I? well, as I
0: said, this is probably one of my least favorite um live eras. it's just
1: sing it bono i <laughs> I don't he must think there's there's some artistic merit in him singing it like that. But it's it's irritating. Well, he's becoming a little bit more
0: mannered, I suppose, in his performance, and settling into a different type of persona, and possibly the type of persona that people take against and get annoyed at these days. Um, speaking of not pronouncing things properly, again with MLK, last time I said he said sleeve, I think. yes, yeah, sleeve <laughs> tonight. Here he doesn't say it. He doesn't just say sleep correctly. And I know I'm not the person to be lecturing people on speaking well, but... It's it's not. I good. have
1: a one-word review of MLK, awful. Just no atmosphere. Didn't work. Was that synthesizer eh, from last week? Yeah, that was really cool. Why why didn't
0: they keep doing that? Don't know. Too much effort. Mm-hmm. Um, although things do turn up. Uh, to, things turn <laughs> take a turn for the better. That's a phrase. Um, on the unforgettable fire. Yeah. My favorite song, and this.
1: Sounds much more
0: improved. This would be where I'd be happy. Fantastic is, vocal from
1: Bono. This has that same raw quality to it that Red Rocks had because you can hear Bono's voice cracking. He doesn't hit all the notes, but yep. it's just the emotion that is emanating from him. And the crowd are going are going crazy. They're really starting to get into this gig, which is a bit late, five songs in. But mm. it they, they, they play this really well. It's great to hear this played at the time. Yeah, because I think now we with songs that we haven't heard so much played live, we just want to see them. We just we just want yeah. want to get that definitive version played live. But there's something beautiful about how it's played on the tour or the tour after, you know, around mm-hmm. the same time because they can play the socks off this song now. When we, mm. when we saw it at 360, it was amazing. But it's a big mass production, yeah. And sometimes you want to see things played in a in a more simplistic way. So yeah. I'm glad that I have this version to go to for for Unforgettable Fire.
0: I mean, th- this would be I would say the the real highlight for me of this entire gig. Really, I mean, it's it's a good reason for this show to exist. And they've got I, I agree with you as well. It's it's they do have a layered sound here. It's clearly not just Edge because it's such a big song to do but they can play this song properly now and they had problems doing that on the tour before.
1: This has the same kind of live quality that New Year's Day does and it's surprising that they didn't carry it forward as one of those you know songs that they play at most shows like I Will Follow, like New Year's Day, like Sunday, Bloody Sunday. It's surprising that this is still a rarity. Well, what, And it's a single. Well, what? yeah, and, and
0: a title track off an album. Um, Oh yeah. What the reason for that though? Pretty obvious. The to vocals too difficult to be consistent with it. I would say.
1: Practice, Bono. What's Bono <laughs> doing? Why it's, is he so busy that he can't practice singing? It's a, it's a, it's come on. It's a ridiculously hard song to sing. He wrote it.
0: Yeah, but just because you can do it once in the studio really, really well doesn't mean you want to bring it out on tour. Especially because I don't think it's a fan favorite either. Oh, all right. Okay, I'll Get rephrase that. Town. It's well, it's my literal favorite song and i'm a fan so yeah i know i'm talking rubbish there but what i'm saying is it's not something that your average just we had a good name for for this of people who just turn up to two gigs and they're not there's nothing wrong with it they're just not that asked about it what was the name we gave them big nose women at concerts no um. <laughs> every time um no, there was a. It was a, like an vague. There was a. There was a term um, I can't remember. Anyway, you you run in the mill, you know people who, who think, oh, you two are playing good, I'll get to see whether without you, Sunday Bloody Sunday, beautiful day, beautiful day, yeah. Vertigo, blah, blah blah. Um, so speaking of Sunday Bloody Sunday, um, you all, take it a leave at U two fans. Yeah, I wish I could remember the term. Anyway, um, Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, Edge is playing a Stratocaster. I prefer him playing this on a Telecaster.
1: <laughs> That's my note for that one. Were you one of the cool kids in school? No, no, no. You surprised me. Um, well, do you have anything more interesting to say about that song? The crowd go cray cray, <laughs> like they lose the sh1t when the, when they start playing this song. And it's the, the the songs that from War particularly, the crowd really love, mm. which. Like this is a question for you, the the review to anarax. Why don't you like war? Why don't you listen to the war episode? I don't get it. They, You're talking about our own podcast. Our now. own podcast, yeah. Like they don't listen to it. That's one of the worst listened to shows, and I, I don't understand. It's please, a- please send me a message on Twitter or Facebook. If you're a rebel type guy, email me. Just tell me what you have against war, because I really don't understand it. I, I don't think it's a good idea to invite scrutiny or criticism of our early work. No, if it's our fault, then that's fine. Mm. But if it's because people generally don't gravitate towards war, then that's something I can't understand. If we didn't cover it well, then I can I can take that. Mm. But I I just for me, it's one of the most d- definitive U two albums. I suppose
0: it's odd that that episode is
1: less listened to than October, but meh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm easy. We have opinion pieces that are more well received than that that episode. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, I'm just I'm sort of going track by track here. Um, yeah.
1: Um, exit. Yeah. Uh, and I want to bring a well a, a one of our old features back in just for this. Um, yeah, go Feel free. So, just excuse me. David. David. Oh, the sweetest thing! That's not David Bowie. David Bowie does the other one, doesn't he? I mean, that's so convoluted to try and explain <laughs> what the hell you're talking um, about. Yeah, this is my sweetest thing. I loved it. I think they played it really, really well. I think Exit gets a very hard rap from you two fans.
0: Um, okay, well, I'm going to join them at least partially because Bono's doing his stupid thing or whatever. I can't think of a good name for it. You know, we... He uses the delay to make weird chirruping sounds. It's so stupid, but I suppose at the time—I'll try me be fair—at the time, I bet that was really electric to see it occur. But are you a fan of those weird chirrup? Th- I—I'm I a fan
1: of this song live.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of it live. It means Edge gets to, you know, kind of thrash out on a on a Les Paul. I, Second annoying point: Why I, has Bono got a guitar?
1: I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, why has Bono got a guitar? Grounding. Uh, every time I see Bono with a, a guitar now, mm. I think it's grounding him. Yeah, because I would if I, I'm a singer, and if I was playing, if I was Bono at that point, I would be going so so cray cray. I am right,
0: not happy with the word cray cray being used. Uh, Get well, down with the kids, Johnny. No, um, yeah, okay, it makes sense because and it does mean that he can do some striking kind of tableaus throughout this. That's fair enough. Do you know what's annoying about this song as well? Gloria, G-L-O-R-I-A, needlessly misleading on the Rattle and Hum DVD slash video. So on the back, when you when you are a young U2 fan like I was, you're looking at the back you're like, oh, Rattle and Hum. Yeah. I wonder what songs are going to play. Oh, that's expected. Oh, that one's expected. What, Gloria, the first song from October, one of my favourite live songs that they do. <laughs> Hooray. And then you get this. Annoying, needlessly misleading.
1: Still annoyed. Yeah. Still annoyed. Um... Yeah, I, that that's the that's the that's my sweetest thing. Um, for this uh, for this show, I I I'm really looking forward to seeing that live. Oh yeah, I, because when they announced, I think we discussed this when they announced the new Joshua Tree tour. Mm. We were like, well, yeah, the first half's gonna be good, and I, then I wasn't like that. And I, then there's I'm this, more interested th- in the second. The half. Se- well, there's a the second part of the album, and I was like, well, how how is that gonna come across? in a live setting with a lot of fans, you know, a, a, is everybody going to know that. So I was I was skeptical, but I really want to see these songs live now. I think Exit will be a real a real kind of, yeah, showstopper hopefully, that
0: that kind of bit. And if I personally am looking forward more to the second half of the album than the first. The first is, to be honest, the bits that I'm least bothered about because I've seen them a million times. Mm. Um, you know, I really want In God's Country. I really want mother, Mothers of the Disappeared. You know, it's going to be great.
1: Any highlights from the rest of the set?
0: Um, Unforgettable Fire is probably my sweetest thing, um, if we're going to do that. We're, we're not going to do it every episode, but I was just like, wow, this is great. Yeah. Um, next real highlight is the next song, Electric Co., Edge is, dare I say, it, being quite messy with his guitar playing here, but he's having to walk across a large distance.
1: What are you, what are you smug about? Because I'm, I'm not having a go at Adam. No, no, I'm just laughing at this song.
0: Yeah, well, it's got a few interesting bits. Um, oh, boy, has it. Bono made me
1: literally laugh out loud um, when he <laughs> winks at the camera. Yeah, I got that Bono uh, wink at the cam uh, when <laughs> Edge is soloing. It's yeah, it's so laughable. You can tell that... that Bono persona isn't fully built yet. Yeah, it's still some humanity in there. Well, I think the the, the th- <laughs> not not that the Bono persona is in inhumane in any. Mm, I was just gonna say,
0: I think this um, song sort of cuts through the slick production of the whole thing. And before I said that, I bashed my own microphone stand, so that's that's telling. Um, but there is a kind of real professionalism to this to this whole Joshua Tree era, which which gets slightly undercut when the next thing happens yeah. and it's amazing it's one of the best things about this whole DVD
1: Uh, yeah and let's I mean this guy could be listening so let's not let's not be you know disrespectful he's a big guy Bono invites a large man on, on stage I, I'm guessing he's seven foot plus he's if s- you look at Bono he's not seven foot if you look, look at Bono compared to him Bono becomes like a a child. It's it's quite scary. but this big, sweaty man.
0: What's he? He's wearing. He's who, wearing um thing. The best thing I think about it is he's he's wearing um what's the name for dungarees? Us? Not dungarees. Are the things that keep we're back into swag now. We're doing a fan. <laughs> yeah. um, the guy who um he wears the things that keep your trousers up. that old-fashioned people used to wear before we had belts. Suspenders. Yeah, let's call them
1: that. Yeah, I'll remember it later on. Britches. like britches? No, what are britches? They're like from the. I had to Google what plus fours were the other day. Do you know what plus fours are? No, do tell. They're, they're like the the you know the old fashioned golf shorts <laughs> that the that get tucked into the mm. the sock. Okay, so why are they called plus fours? Not a clue. Ah, it's such it's such dissatisfying radio. Because if you if you um you know if you. Plussed four inches, you could call them trousers. Mm. Braces, I've just remembered. Braces. Braces, right. So brace
0: yourselves, listeners.
1: Um, so this guy's big and he's been in the crowd all night, so he's he, he looks a little moist, doesn't he? Yeah. And he picks Bono up, which I don't think Bono was expecting. No, no, I'm really happy that he does it as well. But Bono goes ahead of it anyway and swings his, his feet up yep. so the guy can carry him. But then Bono pretty quickly insists on being put down. I think the opposite. Really? Yeah. See, I think...
0: Because if you notice, he holds him up. And I think the guy's just picked him up on impulse. But then Bono puts his head down to the guy, into his ear. And he could very well be saying... I love you. A bit odd, but yeah. He could be saying hello or whatever or hope you enjoy the show. J'adore. Yeah. I, French? Yeah, but this is Bono speaking. So, anyway he's but i think what he says is just hold me up until until the end of this bit basically because then bono starts doing starts quoting the doors and doing the whole jim morrison break on through to the other side bit and then puts him down and then
1: they sort of high five semi awkwardly but it's still pretty good yeah and then he just walks around leaves him and the the guy gets off the stage yeah but if you <laughs> pause the DVD, or just slow it down a little bit, you'll see that when Bono and this guy disconnect, Mm. Bono's waistcoat is, like, (laughs) sodden, like, where Mm. this guy is impressed on him. And it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in a U2 show. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, there's not many events which are kind of like that in a in a no, U2
1: gig. I, just talking about it now it makes me feel a little bit sick. Yeah, it's fine. There's something, there's something about somebody else's sweat being on my clothes. It's rock and roll. Ah, oh, it's not rock and roll. No one's dream. No, no, fourteen-year-old kids playing a guitar in his bedroom, hoping that he gets some other guy's sweat on him. I mean, maybe so, well, actually. But... Well, look. <laughs>
0: Connecting with the fans is an important thing, and I think that shows a real earthy, you know, kind of connection. So good. Um, well, yeah, fair enough. Um, I've got to be honest; the rest of the show is a bit of a snooze fest.
1: Yeah, October didn't come across well. Oh, really? I I, I actually thought this was better
0: than um, oh, our old friend the white towel. Bono's prop turns up. Yeah. So I guess that's his prop for this week, unless we're counting the French guy. Um, He's got too many props.
1: I couldn't afford this action figure. <laughs>
0: well, this, this week... this All the bits tours of ed- cloth
1: and stuff.
0: Well, this tour's edition, his prop is, well, either that weird bobble that I said he had in his hair, again with the towel, or the French dude holding him up. Um, but a good vocal performance, and I think that transition from that into New Year's Day works really, really well.
1: Um, but I thought he sung it pretty well, to be honest. New Year's Day, Bono is a rock god. He is so on point. Right until he sits down at the end of the stage, watching his own band play, and I won't say what word I wrote down in my notes, mm. um, but it rhymes with banker. That I just, I there's something I really don't like about it. Just Did that break, affect you it? in any way?
0: No, no. I, I, I just, I, I found the whole thing pretty endearing, to be
1: honest. And I like the fact that um... that's that's cringe worthy. I've not found Bono that cringe worthy through this period yet. Oh well you just wait. I know. But that just makes me squirm. But to clarify on New Year's Day, um I think this is the most consistently well played U two song up to this point. Mm. It's it's a banger. It's great.
0: It it does sound very, very good and it's a testament to how solid the song is. And we're starting to get little kind of transitions that creep in that you can tell have been not necessarily rehearsed to death or anything but you know that move from october into new year's day it's the kind of thing that we're going to have later on in youtube's career when we have more slick transitions i'm thinking about you know kind of boston and and slain and things like that and all the all the great movement between songs and to be honest those are the bits that I find most interesting in a live performance these days. It's not necessarily the songs, which obviously I've heard a million times. It's how do you get from one to the other, and that moment where you're thinking, "Oh, change in," you know, yeah. that kind of thing. That's that's a bit that excites me. Um, Bullet the Blue Sky, underwhelming, pretty, pretty much for me. I mean, it's agreed. It's yeah. weird, e- even though it's obviously so
1: fresh. I'm just not that enthused by it. Um, so running to stand still is uh the closest we get to a true special moment in this set. I think there's just a magical feeling about that. Um but running to stand still, I felt like they were playing it a little bit too fast. And I I'm just looking, I'm sure there's another track that I thought this of. Um <laughs> It's funny how we've completely missed out Pride in the Name of Love. Yep. Um <laughs> No, there's a couple, there was a couple of songs on here which I thought were being played too fast. Oh, Bad. We missed out Bad as well. We've covered Bad in quite a lot of detail so far. I, I feel like they rushed it a little bit. It got my wow factor, absolutely, mm. but could have slowed it down a little bit. With or Without You, I love it because it's not polished.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing that's interesting is I didn't know this early on We were still getting the whole, um, you know, We'll Shine Like Stars riff that Bono does at the end. I always thought that came in much, much later. Um, And it's interesting that even early on, they've kind of added to that. I'm glad that that doesn't exist in the studio version, but it's a really, yeah, it's it's a good, solid version. And then we get possibly our most eye-rolling-y Bono, please shut up kind of moment uh, in the show. So it's not really clear what happens. Maybe a fan lets off some tear gas. Someone lets off
1: some tear gas. No, no matter who it is. They're an idiot. They're in the wrong. Yeah. Granted. Le moron. Bono stops the song in not a good way. Because the band, stop,
0: stop, stop.
1: Yeah, and the they don't stop it clean either. Uh and Bono says no one gets hurt at a U two concert. And only uh,
0: we get hurt if someone gets hurt at a YouTube concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, why? It's not the time for weird cryptic riddles, no, Bono. No, What does that <laughs> no, even mean?
1: Not. So if someone's let off tear gas and Bono says, what's this? Tear gas. I thought there'd be enough tears in this song. It's like, mm, oh, you know, pull a face, wink to the camera. Yeah. It's, it's like, very... someone's just let off tear gas and you, you're you making light of that. Yeah, and doing like a bit
0: and you may as well have winked again at the camera, pretty <laughs> much. Also, who the, like, I get, who the hell lets off tear gas at a concert? For what possible reason? This will be a lot of ah! cry or damn it. It's just awful.
1: Yeah They um, can't condone the action, so whoever did that don't do it again. but <laughs> um, yeah, it can't, it's not great. And then it means you've
0: got to wait for the band to restart again, and they have to go through the <laughs> the like kind of uh bit again at the end. And I I just couldn't be I couldn't be bothered with that. No, because, really, really weird. Yeah, zoned out for that bit. And then and then we have <laughs>
1: oh. Party Girl coming yeah. back out again. And it does strike me, this show doesn't stop; it grinds to a halt.
0: Well. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, really, Wither Without You or 40, which they actually do finish on, would be the place to finish. But, I mean, this is a Momentum's
1: a problem in this show. Yeah,
0: so again, we've got odd set list choices here. Um, And Party Girl sticks out like a sore thumb amongst this collection of absolute hits, really. I mean, all the way through. Um, There's not too many album tracks off the Joshua Tree, really. Um, No,
1: it's almost like they didn't know what they had. What do, you, uh, what do you mean? Like they didn't know how good the album was. Okay, it was number one, but they didn't know if it had lasting power or staying power. Um, and I, I get that sense. It's not really a Joshua Tree tour.
0: Mm, actually, they were reviewing this. <laughs> what don't what don't they play? There's Mothers of the Disappeared. That they don't play. They
1: don't play Streets.
0: They don't, oh yeah, that's yeah. No, it's criminal. And they don't and play One Tree Hill. Oh, Red Hill Mining Town. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty bad. Um. <laughs> but i think this is this is a really strong selection of songs for an average crowd and obviously this is going to have a huge impact the crowd do go wild and this ties into the stage as well so i've got a question a quote here from edge and then a, and then a question right okay so Edge says with you two it's the music that makes the atmosphere there's no laser show no special effects right so that's Edge talking about the Joshua Tree tour and how it's all about the band, all about the music. The stage reflects that. And obviously they've got all these really, you know, knock it out of the park, strong hits. So even without Streets, you've still got With or Without You, you still got Still on Fire What I'm Looking For. And he's saying there's no laser show and no special effects. Now, A, what do you think that Edge would have made after he just said that quote of the 360 tour? Yeah. And is that tour the result of having a lack of songs. Tyler, your
1: thoughts. Um, specifically the 360 tour. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that that stage was, um, I mean, Bono's literally wearing a suit made of lasers. That stage could have done so much more. Imagine if you'd have given it to a, a David Guetta or, you know, or or one of the uh, Daft Punk. Imagine Daft Punk using that stage. Well, to be fair, they'd just be stood in the middle, wouldn't they? Yeah. But I think they could get a lot more out of it. I, I think you two didn't really know what to do with that song. Um, in in terms of this show, I don't think it's a particularly good show. Again, I like to be able to watch it uh, and I find it very interesting the way it's shot. I would say this is the last time uh, on an official video release anyway where we get to see U2 play an, an unchoreographed gig. Mm. Uh, this is the last time we'll get to see a raw U2 play a, any type of show after this. It, the, the production values skyrocket.
0: Yeah, and there's a moment actually in this where Edge and Clayton walk together and kind of stand together at the front of the stage, and even something as simple as that, I'm thinking, wow, that's co- quite choreographed. You know, maybe they actually had a mark
1: for that. You know, they actually wanted to hit. Um, I, I don't think so at this point. Probably I not, think but it's, it's... but it
0: sticks out. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think this is just a genuine performance of them doing what they want to do and when they want to do it
0: with. As I said, an absolute bucket of of hits. This is U2 really in the zenith. And I guess people, the fans would have loved this. They seem to have reacted really well. But overall, this show for me is pretty dull, to be honest. And it's not the things that I want out of a U2
1: gig. Well, uh, it's time for that question then. Um, Gig or show? That famous question.
0: Yeah, this is... Hmm... No, it's a gig. It's a gig. It's definitely a gig. I mean, if you're playing Come On Everybody right at the start, it's a gig, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a gig.
1: But we're not going to end there. We uh, are going to cover the, (laughs) in relatively shorter terms, the Point Depot gig, uh, which is now famous for being the site of Bono saying we need to go away and dream it all up again, recorded on December the 31st, 1989. Uh, it was on the Lovetown tour. I do have some stats on the Lovetown tour. I think the Lovetown tour really is the Joshua Tree tour done well. Um, in It started on the 21st of September 1989, ended on January the 10th, 1990. It had two legs and 47 shows. So a much shorter, more compact tour. Not really a tour, if I'm honest. Because it doesn't tour much; it's mm. just they'll go to one city every two countries, and it, I think it was just going to the places they missed out on the main Joshua Tree tour. Yeah, it
0: seemed that they were kind of mopping up. If it's if it's not an offensive way of describing them touring those um, no those th- countries,
1: there's no hugely different attire for any uh, well, any members of the band. Well, really. well, have you? Bono th- tidies himself up a little bit.
0: And uh, the edge actually looks a little bit more funky and he's got kind of bandanas and things like that. And I actually think there's an interesting injection of colour into this whole thing. So Joshua Tree, very black and white. Occasionally there will be reds used or hues, but essentially not very... It's stripped down. No. Whereas yeah. here, what I think this is... I'm always interested in in the the things that break any straightforward narrative of there being an absolute point of rupture between them dreaming it all up again and coming back with Acton Baby. And I think this is a little bit of a precursor to, to Act and Baby. There was apparently much more of Edge experimenting with his guitar on stage, doing a lot more soloing. And they got um a guy called Rene Castro to do this stage painting. So the, the famous kind of painting that's not famous ish um,
1: it's graffiti-esque but, isn't it
0: yeah and apparently when the different lights were put onto that it would show up the different symbols the snake, the guitar, the hawk moon that yeah. kind of thing, the dollar sign, the Amnesty International symbol so I mean it, it's not exactly bouncing
1: trebants and video screens no but, but this, it's, is, it's th- this is them playing around with the live form yeah exactly and I think we can both agree they haven't mastered a U2 live performance yet there's you know, there's, no there's gonna be mastered. there's always gonna be you know light and shade good with the bad but it's they there are some elements of brilliance but a lot of oh i wouldn't have done that <laughs> <laughs> which i think is what they said at the time oh i wouldn't have done ooh, that i wouldn't have done that yeah
0: i'm just looking through my ut show book at the all the light and color that's that's used here um BB King, of course, uh on this tour with them. Yeah, BB King looking great. Um Edge indeed wearing a bandana and looking just a little bit cooler to be honest. Yeah. Um I'm, I mean, were these shows or gigs? I'd still say they were gigs. To be honest.
1: It's getting towards a show now for me. Um But I'm gonna run through the track list just so uh Anyone that hasn't heard this or is unfamiliar, this is so. The, compare this to the track list we've just reviewed for the Joshua Tree tour. Okay, Um and remember, it's New Year's Eve, so "Old Lang Syne," where the streets are, into where the streets have no name, then that's important. So starting with streets, really. Wait, I,
0: where's come on everybody?
1: Well, if you let me read it out, I can <laughs> I can tell you. I don't, oh, it's a joke, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, um, got frosty in here now. <laughs> <laughs> so, old Lang Syne into the words streets of no name. I will follow. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. MLK, One Tree Hill, Gloria, God Part 2, Desire, All Along the Watchtower. All I Want Is You, Bad, Van Diemen's Land, The Star Spangled Banner into Bullet the Blue Sky, Running to Stand Still into Dirty Old Town, New Year's Day, which features a snippet of the times they are changing at the beginning of the track. Pride in the name of love, party girl, angel of Harlem, when love comes to town, love rescue me and Footy. How is Party Girl still making the cut? Yes. Ridiculous. Well, you know, it's the um it was with them at the beginning, I suppose. Well, i saw a lot of other good songs which are, which are not there anymore. When was the last time they played that Vertigo? I
0: think they brought it out on Innocence, but only like as a one-off or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like talking about things I'm not completely sure about to be honest. I said, um, why did I start this podcast then? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, So what do you think about the setlist over? I think
1: then? it shows growth. There's a lot more songs being presented. Um, I think it's a tighter show. I think I would I would have liked to have seen this over the Joshua Tree tour.
0: Yeah, given that setlist definitely, especially I, with God Part 2 in there. And this
1: is a landmark gig as well. Mm. Uh because because of the now famous quote from Bono about them going away and reinventing themselves. Um, I mean, is, and it, is it worth it? me reading that out in its entirety? Well, if you want. Yeah. Okay.
0: More, more or less. Okay. I was explaining to people the other night, but I might've got it a bit wrong. This is just the end of something for you two. And that's what we're playing. the, And that's what we're playing these concerts. Hmm. Have you read this before, Johnny? <laughs> I think I, I was expecting to say that's why. I mean, did he, did he stutter like this on stage? I mean, this, Are we still this, in the quote? This went down terribly. No, end quotations. Right, open quotations. And that's what we're playing these concerts, and we're throwing a party for ourselves and you. It's no big deal. It's just we have to go away and dream
1: it all up again. Yeah. It doesn't have the same impact when you say it. No, but, I know, but I just um, thought people might want to hear it. No. That is an interesting statement and now uh, a historical statement in the career of U2. Mm. But what if I uh, what if Actung Baby hadn't been Actung Baby? What does that then mean? Then that's if that's the end of the career. Oh, you mean if it just finished yeah. and not come back with like a rubbish album. Yeah, and, Rattle and Hum too. I don't know if this first 10 years is enough for us to be sat here years later discussing U2. No,
0: I, no, I wouldn't be doing I mean, but to be fair, we're getting into butterfly effect territory here. Yeah, we, we are, absolutely. But uh, to, to answer your question, or the implicit question there, I would not be doing a podcast about you two <laughs> if you two have finished now. I would definitely like them. Um, I'd respect them in the way that I probably respect a lot of other musicians. And I would probably be really, really into Unforgettable Fire, you know, and say, oh, I wish they'd done more stuff like that before they became all rootsy and a bit Americanery and not very good. Hmm. Um but podcast, no,
1: definitely not. No. Um but I think this last show of the eighties, even though they did I think five or six other shows to finish the tour into the nineties. This is for me the culmination of everything they've learnt from the shows in, in, in the eighties and you, you know, you start to see These songs continually being used over and over, like I Will Follow, New Year's Day, continually carried forward because Mm. they've become so important in a U2 set.
0: Yeah, you get a sense by this point, people might actually be severely disappointed if certain songs don't make the cut. And that to me has always been a, a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it means that you've always got a good contingent of fans coming and, and new people turning up, but it makes it dull for the more hardcore fans because, you know, pride begins and you think, oh, right, we we'll get through this, and maybe we're we'll getting
1: at a deeper Well, you know, w- we feel like that. Apparently, the rest of the U two world doesn't feel like that. That's fair enough. We're in a club of two, right there. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's more than just uh, us two. and we are on a podcast where people have commended our criticisms of U two. And people still don't agree with us about Bride.
0: Fair enough. Whatever. Doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. It's just our opinion. Retitle to it.
0: <laughs> um, Anyone who has brought that up, by the way, has been very nice about it. Not, not. Yeah, they have, na- yeah.
1: Not nasty. I like the feedback. I always get a bit scared before <laughs> like, replying to people. Um, Yeah, I think it's a good show. I think it's a really, really good show.
0: Um, I reckon by this point, though, in terms of inter-band relationships and things like that it must be very interesting because surely if Bono is making these kind of statements, him and The Edge this is, you know, going off what we know happens next, they can't be really that happy. The tour is nice and colourful and things like that but they're bored and frustrated I think at this point and that's why there's this need to go away and dream it all up again and I just don't see how that can translate into a particularly... Artistically interesting performance. It might be slick and it yeah. might work, but if Edge and Bono are bored, they lost sense of themselves,
1: didn't they? At this point,
0: well, the thing is, I think the problem is that Larry and Adam were pretty much fine with the way things were were, were going. I mean, I don't obviously, I don't know that for sure, but from what I could tell, that that was the way the di- divisions went. Larry saying, "Why do we need to dream this all up again? Everything's reasonable." Um. But I, ca- I just can't imagine that was a particularly fun tour, and also apparently Bono's voice was really, really bad
1: through a lot of it because he was ill and he'd used it too much. Yeah. So. Um. So there we we have the eighties, uh, yeah. and do you wish to use your magic ticket?
0: No, not for either of these shows. Thank not you very
1: much. Not for the Joshua Tree tour. Nope. Not for. The tour. <laughs> no,
0: no, not for either of those, and certainly not for anything to do with Rattling Home. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone to any of that.
1: I would have done at the time.
0: Oh, at the time, obviously, yeah. but I mean, I mean, sorry, magic tickets. We only have one use. Um, listeners, Tyler has already used his. I don't know why you'd be listening at this point in the middle of the season, but he's already used his on a different show, which we'll keep secret
1: for the suspense. Do they have? legend status yet in your mind
0: no because they're on this is still on the way up you know yeah um yeah i, don't, I mean i just don't think that's conf- that can only be conferred in retrospect i think and that's when the problems start happening because then you start resting on your legendary laurels mm-hmm. and it's not it's just not that like, useful um having said that about the ticket this was a fantastic performance of um on the, the paris gig fantastic performance of a few songs particularly I think for you New Year's Day and for me
1: yeah, New, New, New Year's Day is good but I remember uh, I'm not happy with Edge's piano playing but it's a small criticism What what's wrong with this what's it, he doing wrong he seem he doesn't seem to have hit, hit the, the the song is fine the timings are fine but he doesn't seem comfortable with hit playing the guitar and the piano mm. it's, it's he doesn't feel he doesn't look comfortable when he's doing it um but he looks more comfortable these days. Yeah, I agree with that. So, but I don't. That's hear just a small criticism. Yeah. Um, yeah, great show. Really love being able to watch it. Um, it's an interesting gig, and I would like the production to go back to this where it. to I'd like to see a less choreographed you two.
0: Well, that brings me on to questions about the tour that we are going to see quite soon. Do you want? The Joshua Tree portion and just to reiterate we've avoided spoilers or at least we've tried to mm-hmm. it's almost impossible mm-hmm. um, and so we don't know whether they're going to play it all in one big dollop or not what are you wanting from that I know we talked about this on the Songs of Expectations show but do you, on that issue of choreographing do you want it to be a lot more loose and, and ready or do you want it a bit more more showy and less giggy
1: I, you see, I can't even make that a hypothetical because it's it's a U two show now. Mm. Uh, So they could theoretically just rock up similar things. I trust them now. They've been doing the choreograph stuff for a a long time, Mm. longer than they did the you know the looser stuff. I think they're gonna knock it out of the park. I I don't think they would have done this tour if they thought that an exit or a trip through your wires or a one-tree-hill can't be played in a really big way. Mm. So I have faith in you 2 to do that. My criticism about production is more about a live DVD. I I think a live DVD like this in Paris, where there's less choreography, comes across better than um, something like 360, I, I would, on DVD format. On DVD format, yeah. Mm. I, I I feel like I'm at the gig more, uh, I, and you know I'm sucked into this fake, you know, pretense of being actually actually at the gig, mm. more with a, a raw camera rather than a perfect shot by shot. Show. Yeah, and
0: also missing out, um, you know, engineers and assistants scurrying around yeah. picking up Bono's lead. I mean. The guy who picks up Bono would definitely not have got his way into the uh, 360 DVD. That wouldn't have happened. No, no. Uh, oh, and I was going to bring up something that really annoys me, but um, I won't because I'll, I'll I'll leave that for talking about the 360 DVD if we ever get there.
1: Oh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there soon. Um, anything else to add about you 2 live in the 80s?
0: Um... I wouldn't want anyone to mistake my lack of enthusiasm for not liking a lot of the music that you two are producing here. And obviously, they're really at their apex of their, of their career, you know, in terms of... They're at their
1: apex of producing great, albums. sellable albums. Yeah, exactly. They're maybe not at the apex of um performing to the best of their ability. Well,
0: for me, they're definitely not. You know, th- that's that's clear yeah um having said that this whole era and we're, we're not go- going to rattle and hum because we've done rattle and hum pretty much yeah there's not really much more to say about it to be honest
1: no i think we covered it with joshua tree and love town so yeah
0: um i used to absolutely adore watching that dvd but i think that was because of scarcity more than anything and there were some incredible moments like a, a, Exit on Rattling Home is the best version of that song. You got to remember,
1: like Rattling Home is basically presented as a best of. You know, it's not. I don't think they would have put bad versions on there. They would. Have, they. Mm. I, I imagine they recorded it at several shows and go. Like, okay, we'll put this one here because that one's be- the best one. And mm. uh, so it's a, a collection of live best ofs from that era. Although apparently the filming process was really difficult because. A
0: lot of the time they would set up, you know, they filmed it on film, which is a lot more technically difficult, requires lots of very, very difficult and expensive lighting rigs and things like that, and fans would just turn up and say, well, what's all i doing there? I'm not, I don't want that here. So they just literally dismantle a lighting rig. Like, oh good, I've got more space now.
1: Fans would, dis- that's crazy.
0: But a 2 show Willie Williams talks about it, saying that, you know, they basically they had all this set up to to film it and they had color gigs and black and white gigs cuz obviously that, yeah. that changes things um and he he puts a nice spin on it cuz he said it was basically useful education for him and the crew to get used to that and also um the director is it Phil Jonu is that how you pronounce it
1: I can't remember
0: well anyway um it was an education for yeah um so interesting era but Let's get on to actung baby. Let's actually let's turn it up a notch. Let's get the out and let's let's do something interesting <laughs> and artistic here.
1: Yeah. Um it's been quite fun going back to look at these these things. I've I've seen quite a lot of YouTube videos that I didn't know existed. Yeah, definitely versions of songs that I'd never heard before. So it's been a worthwhile experience. And I, again, once again, I feel like the best time to be going through this was the the first three albums those first formative years i just love seeing that
0: and on that note i guess i said this last week but i'll reiterate anyone who has any particularly interesting memories from that time and is listening to the show and wants to get in touch and say oh i remember that that particular gig and and that happened that was really interesting um it'd be i'd fascinating like to hear to from know.
1: someone that's been on stage with bono you know that's been picked out of the audience
0: french guy embraces please email in <laughs> um
1: I'd I'd, I'd I'd like to know, you know, what the exchange was. Because I know whenever I've met celebrities...
0: My, my... <laughs> Sorry, wait, wait, wait. Whenever you've met celebrities, do your yeah. celebrity list then. Anthony Hopkins. Right, okay, go on. Rob Brydon. I, meeting celebrities. You weren't at a cocktail party. No, no,
1: but I've I've met them and said hello. Okay, and they've gone... limited success. Who are you? Jim um, Jeffries. Go away. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, the, the lovely fellas from, from Mew. Yeah, fair enough. Uh I, th- I think that's it. I think I think that's my list of uh, of celebrities. But Go on. So, so whenever you've no, met but celebrities. my brain doesn't work. It, like I uh, I I don't have a language. It's just like I have to work in actions if I want someone to sign. It's like, you know, just shove it in, in, front the, in front of the in front of the face. So if Bono was taking you out the audience, I just can't imagine what that experience would be like. Yeah, I think it would be pretty unreal. And I guess the
0: difference for him is that he's he's just so used to interacting with fans. He must know that it means nothing to him. No, it actually means something. But just that it's it, he must have an understanding of the effect that he can have on people. You know, I mean, he's been living in this existence for well, what, thirty years or oh, more. Bob now. I've, I've, I'm I'm not playing the world's tiniest violin <laughs> here, but you, you know, like I think he I think he probably understands that. No, um, and yeah, I think I I've always thought. As, as Adam Buxton has said about meeting celebrities, just play out in your head what's the best scenario. You know, I can go up to the edge and say, guitars, and you, you mean a lot to me. Great. And then he'll think, oh, what a, what a strange guy. And then great, I've annoyed a hero, my hero, basically.
1: So there we go. That was our review of the Joshua Tree Tour, 1987, and Love Town Tour, the end of the 80s for us. That's all we have time for this week. Uh, please come back and join us next week. We'll be review touring Zoo TV tour and dipping our toes into the lovely waters that are the 90s. Hooray! So from myself, Tyler, and from Johnny, thank you very much for listening. Say thank you, Johnny.
0: I'm not saying thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Good riddance to the 80s.
1: Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. hi there. thanks for listening to the show if you'd like to get in touch please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review22u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the review2 podcast on itunes you can also email us at review2contact gmail.com please like comment and subscribe thank you